coming to the end of our series of studies and Bible classes and, and messages from the pulpit on the Gospel of Matthew. Next week we'll uh, see the, uh, the, the, the end of it. And I want to commend again uh, uh, Douglas Brown and his, his, uh, his adult education team for, uh, for all of the work that they have done in preparing lessons and, and uh, bringing in uh, you know, just a, a, a really great teacher from Oklahoma Christian University, Dr. Baird, to, uh, to kick us off back in January and to, to get our minds uh, really uh, fertile with questions and, and, and desire to, uh, to study the, the Gospel of Matthew, which we began this last March and again going to terminate at the end of, uh, at the end of this month. And uh, this morning we are going to be looking at the resurrection. Uh, before we do that, though, as, as is our custom, let's ask God to bless us in this study. Father, it, 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 it seems sometimes, even though we have read certain scriptures and texts hundreds, maybe even thousands of times in a lifetime, there are certain ones, Father, that when we read them, especially when we read them in the community of faith, in, in the congregation, the body of Christ, the church, as, as family and as your children, as disciples of, of Jesus of Nazareth, have these scriptures come alive for us. And this morning, Father, what we would, would give to be able to clasp the feet of Jesus and worship Him. And to see Him, Father. But that's the hope that is in our hearts. The anticipation, the, the certainty that one day we will see Him face to face and we will see Him as He is. And until then, Father, it's our prayer that every time our minds intersect the, the sacred Scripture, the sacred texts, that You will give us eyes to see and ears to hear. For we want these words to be more than just human words, Father. We want them to come to us through the inspiration of the Spirit and to teach us and to revolutionize us and, and change us and transform us conform us to the image of Jesus in order, Father, for, for you to gain glory and, and to gain honor in this community. So bless us, Father, in this way. We ask it all in the name of Jesus and all the church said. Matthew is one of the direct accounts of what happened when Jesus resurrected after the crucifixion. This past Tuesday in my LTG group that meets in my office on Tuesday mornings, we had a, a chance. We've been going through Matthew each week. We had a chance to talk about the resurrection. And I asked the question of the guys in that group, what do most people think when they read about the resurrection? And in our discussion, to kind of boil it down to a, a couple of sentences, it boiled down really to two questions. Number one, did it really happen? Did the resurrection, Jesus dying on the cross, being buried, squeezing through death to the other side in order to be the first fruits of those that will never die again. Did that really happen? That He not just hit death and bounce back, but did He go through death to the other side where death can no longer have any kind of a power, any kind of a claim on His life? Did that really happen? And then number two, if it did, what, what does it really mean? 
Well, those are two questions that we have to process, two questions that we have to ask. They're really two great questions. Because you know as well as I do that when anyone in our culture reads the accounts of the resurrection in the Bible and they are not a believer, they're not a disciple of Jesus, their reaction is doubt. They are dubious that this kind of thing can take place in the world that we live in. I mean, how many of us have ever really seen a resurrection? And even if you don't wrestle with it, your friends and your neighbors do. And to say that, that uh, I, you know, I, I don't know the answer to these questions doesn't really help. And that's why we have to ask the questions for ourselves. But let me add something before we jump into these questions. The resurrection is really not like all the other facts in the world. It's, it's not a naked historical fact that you believe with your mind and it leaves your, you know, the, the rest of your being alone. For instance, you know, believe it or not, there have been men that have walked on the moon. Do you believe that? Yeah, I mean, it's a scientific fact. The footage, the evidence of moon rocks, all these kinds of things, that men actually walked on the moon. Do you believe that? Yes. But does it change your life? Not much. Not really. It doesn't really have any effect on my life. But here's the thing about the resurrection. When you believe the resurrection and that it happened, and that it happened the way that the writers of the New Testament describe it and teach about it and expand and magnify it in our minds and hearts, then what it means really does change your life. That's why we have to study this event this morning. So the first question is this. What does, uh, did, did, the, did uh, the resurrection really happen? Well, again, a lot of people in the modern world believe that Jesus was a good man, that he taught a lot of good philosophy about how to live a good life, but that's nearly the extent of it. That's about the extent of it. He's a fine teacher. He's full of wisdom. But as the years went by, the story goes, his followers began to develop more systematically and even more profoundly his teachings and to the point that they began to say that Jesus was divine, that Jesus was the Son of God. And, and that's sort of how they slipped in the resurrection over a couple of centuries. That it really wasn't something that was believed by the early church. And then after a couple of centuries, they began to write all of these legends down into what we call the Bible. And that's how you got Christianity. And, and sort of, you know, it's a bit of historical goulash, you know, made up from Philosophy 101 courses, the History Channel, and, you know, the Da Vinci Code. But the only thing that's wrong with all of that is just about every single part of it is wrong. First, the Gospels did not get written centuries later after years and years of, of legend fabricating. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 15, we read, So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed, and this story has been widely circulated. That they were, you know, it's, it's really just a hoax. This story has just, this hoax has been widely circulated among the Jews. Last four verse, uh, words, read them with me, church. To this very day. To this very day. Now, you know, we usually just run right or sprint right over those last four words, but what it tells us is that Ma Matthew is writing so soon after the resurrection of Jesus that the story that he's mentioning in verse 15 is still in circulation. Matthew was written during the lifetime of people who had seen Jesus and who had seen the resurrection. Paul is, is, will write even uh, sooner than Matthew about the resurrection. And we'll talk about Paul in just a minute, but in your mind, go to, go to Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 7. Jesus raises the son of a, of, of a widow from the village of Nain. Uh, chances are Nain, being such a small village, uh, a, a rural village, 
that most of the people there were probably there when it happened or at least heard something about it. They were there on the day when this, this event happened. Now, what if that event never really happened? But you just wanted to insert it in, in, in the text, in, into the Gospels, as sort of promotional material for, for Christianity. You're thinking Christianity needs a miracle or two? Why not place one in the small village of Nain since Jesus is the man of the people? Now, quite frankly, you could probably do that, but you'd have to do it 150 years later when everybody else is dead who lived during the time of Jesus when no one could dispute it if it really didn't happen. Not just a couple of years after it happened when everyone, for the most part, is still alive. If that was what was happening, then somebody could step forward and say, you know, that really never happened in our village. I never heard of that. And if that's really the way that the Gospels were written according to Philosophy 101 and the History Channel and the Da Vinci Code, then where are the people that have stepped forward and said, you know, I was there on that day, it never happened. The problem is your religion could just never really get off the ground. If you had all of these people stepping up and saying, you know what, that never happened. Miracle after miracle after miracle that's recorded in the Bible, that never happened. That, that, that's not true. That I was there. It never happened. But these events, these accounts, these, these stories, these, uh, these texts about these miracles and the resurrection are written within the lifetime of the eyewitnesses. Now getting over to Paul. I mean, Paul on the resurrection says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that Jesus appeared to more than 500 people over a period of weeks and most of those people are still alive. You know, it's not that these accounts were written centuries later when there was nobody around who could say that's not true. They're not legends, but historical documents. They're eyewitness accounts of things that people saw. And here's yet another reason to accept the resurrection for having happened. I mean, nobody in their right mind would have used females as eyewitnesses. Not during that period of time. I mean, during that period of time, women could not even testify in a court of law. Look at Matthew chapter 28 and verse 8. The women are hurrying away from the tomb, afraid, yet are filled with joy, and they ran to tell the disciples. The first witnesses of the resurrection in all the Gospels are women, and this is happening in a day when female testimony was not admissible in court. I mean, that's not the way that you would start it off. The only possible motivation to write it this way is that it really happened. If the Gospels are only promotional... It doesn't help to have women as eyewitnesses, the first eyewitnesses in a culture where women were esteemed so, so little. I mean, why include them? Why not just jump to John and Peter? The reason is it really happened. And that's the way that the Gospels were written. There was an empty tomb. And, and the reason for it is that, that people, many, many people, saw that Jesus was resurrected. They saw Him after the fact, after He had come out of the tomb. And it changed them. It changed them. And that's the last reason we'll consider this morning for accepting the resurrection as an event that happened in history. All of these eyewitnesses, all of these disciples of Jesus, while He was alive, they were changed even more so after His death. 
Now next, uh, excuse me, after His resurrection, next week we will look at the Great Commission. But think about this for, for a couple of minutes. Jesus shows up on a mountain in Galilee to all of His disciples, and these men in the beginning of Acts are referred to in the original language as, as idiotas, as idiots, meaning that they are uneducated, that they're not very sophisticated when it comes to the philosophies of the world. They're not well trained. It doesn't mean they're not intelligent. It just means that they're seen as, as guys that are, are sort of rough around the edges when it comes to to uh, academic finishing schools. And so Jesus shows up on this mountain. He brings all of these, these disciples who are unsophisticated, uneducated men, and He tells them that He's going to be with them until the end of the age, and that He wants them to leave the homes that they have known all of their lives and to do something that Jewish people never really thought as, as something viable for them in this life, and that is to go into all of the world and not just live, but to change it to change the world, to convert the world. And they say, okay, okay, we'll do it. Why? Why do they do that? It's because they saw Jesus alive and resurrected. And they knew that if He was resurrected, and if that kind of thing was possible, then anything was possible. Even taking a, a, several fellas who were uneducated and unsophisticated and turning the world upside down. Listen, as we put this together, Christianity would never have gotten off the ground if there wasn't an empty tomb. And we know that the resurrection wasn't a hoax where His disciples stole and hid the body because liars don't live lives of compassion and generosity and incredible courage and an incredible sacrifice, even going to their brutal death for something that they and only they know to be a lie. Listen, liars don't die as martyrs for the sake of their own fraud. They were changed because they had seen Him. And to, and to have kind of this modern snobbery that says, you know what, we're modern people, you know, we, you know they were just kind of uh, faked into thinking or they, they didn't quite understand that Jesus had fainted, that He really wasn't dead. You know, I don't, I don't know what you do with that kind of intellectual snobbery. I, you know, I, I've never seen a study in my life that said that the intelligence of modern people you know, is greater than those of ancient people. And to say that they didn't know a dead person when they saw one? I mean, we're talking about Romans. These are, these are guys that knew dead people when they saw one. And so did these disciples. And they may not have been sophisticated enough to know exactly what happened inside of that tomb, but they believed that it was attributed to the power of God in raising Him up. And death would no longer have a claim on His life. And that He was, he was going to the right hand of God having made atonement for sins. And all of them saw that and believed it with all of their heart and were willing to have their to, to be beheaded and to be crucified upside down and to go to places in the world where they knew nothing but misery and sacrifice and suffering because of what they believed about the resurrection and what it meant for the entire world. Which leads us to that second question. What does it mean? I mean, we understand that Jesus walked on the water, believe it with all of our hearts. We understand that story as it's written in the Gospels, the, the, turning the water into wine, the, the feeding of the 5,000, the 4,000, with bread and with... We believe all of these miracles, but the, but the resurrection, 
rises up and stands alone. In all of these miracles, what does it mean? It, right off the bat, it means that He's with you. He's with you. You, you know, I have a lot, if you've been in my library, you know that I have a lot of books on Abraham Lincoln in my library, and I suppose that you could say, or I could say when I read the letters of Lincoln that, you know, it's like having Lincoln with me. But that's not what Jesus is saying here. When He says, I will be with you until the end of the age. It means that He is with us in the present. Think about what this means from Ephesians chapter 1 when Paul writes, He raised Him from the dead. His resurrection language here. He raised Him from the dead, seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly realms. This is more than just saying that Jesus went to heaven. I mean, we believe it with all of our heart. That's where He is. He's been exalted to this, to, 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 to this, this right hand position of, of God in heaven. But to be seated at the right hand of God was to be seated in a place of power, like, sort of like the prime minister or secretary of the state. It is to be seated in the place of the one who runs the country and who makes sure that the will of the king is being done throughout all of the king's realm. And for Jesus to be seated at the right hand of God means that He is with you as one who runs the universe. He has, he has power. Sovereign power and control over everything that happens in history, meaning, as, as we, we drill it down to our own individual lives, that He has power and sovereign control over everything that happens in your life. Now, I, I'm not trying to be conf confrontational here. But there are just so many cliches that have to become a foundation. Uh, you know, the, the, the cliche, Jesus is in control. Or the one that, uh, that we hear a lot in the Christian world, God is good. It's got to be more than a cliche if we believe in the resurrection. It's got to be a part of the foundation of the hope and the joy and the peace that we live with each and every day. I mean, think about the last two messages that we studied out of Matthew. All of the horror and the betrayal and the torture, Jesus being ground into the dust and beaten to a pulp and mocked, and bled, the injustice of it all, the misunderstanding, the cruelty, the lies, the dirty politics, the hypocrisy, the malice, evil everywhere, abandonment, and then he's nailed to the cross and left to die. And there are people that are standing there who had seen those miracles of, 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 of Jesus walking on the water and stilling the storms and healing people who had been sick. And there are people that had seen those miracles and had heard Jesus' teachings and they're standing in front of the cross and they're saying, you know, I can't see anything good that can come out of this. I just don't see anything good that's coming out of Him being crucified. And then all of that, all of, all of that horror and, and the mocking and the bleeding and the injustice and the betraying, all of that, by the power of heaven, becomes a resurrection and our salvation. But death is swallowed up. You know, I. do you look at things that are happening in your life at times and hear yourself saying to yourself, you know, I don't see, I, I don't know how anything good can come out of this. 
If so, it's because the meaning of the resurrection has not made its way into your heart. All authority has been given to Him. Now you can relax. Now that doesn't mean that it's all going to become good in the next five minutes or so, and the reality is that it may not become, become the good in the next five years. And I hate to say this, but it's true. It may not even become the good in your own lifetime. But the power that resurrected Jesus and which will resurrect every believer is also the power that will sustain you even now. And there's, there's a, a, you know, besides this perspective and, and that the, the resurrection gives us in our troubles, there's another way it impacts our lives. It means that He's with you in the church. When Jesus says at the end of, verse, uh, of chapter 28, I am with you always to the very end of the age, He was not just saying that to those apostles, to those disciples. He's saying it to everyone who will ever believe in Him to the very end of the age, that you... I mean, it's not written in good Texanese. I mean, we see the you and we think it's singular, but it's really plural. If, if Jesus was in San Antonio, he I'm with you all, or I'm with y'all. And that's the way that he would have said it today. Earlier, Jesus said it this way in chapter 18, verse 20. He says, where two or three come together in my name. When two or three people who believe in me who have been saved because of their faith in me. And they come together. And, and they come together because, because they, they see in each other the salvation and the discipleship and the, and, the, and the kinship that comes from being brothers and sisters in Christ. Guess what? I am with them. I am with them. You know, you'll never know Jesus as well as you will know Him in the church. He is present in His church. And as you walk with brothers and sisters, you see Christ living in them in ways that He's not living with you, perhaps. You know, when, I, you, know, when you stand up here, I want you to know that you're the most beautiful congregation I've ever seen. I mean, really above average when it comes to beauty. You don't have to laugh. I mean, I, I mean that seriously. <laughs> but you know what? You know, most of you, it would scare you to death to stand up here. And... and and, and maybe I should be more frightened. But you know, when I look out on this congregation, you know what I see? I see the face of Jesus. I know, I know your stories. You come into my office. We're at the Starbucks. You're in my home. We, we have lunch together. We have dinner together. We, we meet at different places. And I, and I know your stories, and you know mine, and I know how God has worked in your life. And there are, it's like a jigsaw puzzle in a lot of ways. That when I look out, I see a more complete, I have a more complete face of Jesus because I'm with you and you're with me. And there are things that, that God has done in your life that He's not done in mine, but I, He's with you. God, Christ is with you. And He lives inside of our church and I'm able to see it and know that He's working in you and I'm encouraged because He's done that thing in your life and I know that He's capable of doing it because He did it right before my eyes in your life and I see it. And you see the same thing in my life. And then, you know, Ken Heiston and our missionaries come and they talk about that, how that's happening all around the world. And because of the church, because of the body, because of the family, because the, we all are being transformed into the likeness of Jesus, when we come together, we come to an understanding of who the Christ is and what He does and His presence and His faithfulness and His loyalty and His compassion and His generosity to us in ways that we will never see it 
if we think that all there is to Christianity is just believing and I can sit at home on Sundays. Or two or three come together in my name, I'm with them. And he's present in the church. One last thing and, and we're done. Not only is He with you in the present, not only is He with you in the church, but it means that He's with you at the end. At the end of your personal story, He's going to be there. And because He's there, it will be a happy ending. Listen, if you believe that this world is all there is, and when you die, you rot, and there's nothing more. And no one is going to come and make everything right. No one is going to address all the wrongs and injustices that have ever been in the history of the world, that the earth is going to burn up in the death of the great sun. If that's what you believe, then when, when you read a story, some fictional story, you might, you, know, you might read a story here or there with a happy ending, and you're happy for a moment until you realize that the real world is not like that. You don't enter into that happy ending very far, do you? In fact, you, if you're like Hollywood, hate happy endings because you don't think they're true. But if you're a believer, a disciple, a Christian, the Spirit of, of God, God's, God's Spirit is in you as a gift at your salvation, and you believe that the resurrection is true, then you know that every happy ending is just a foretaste of the happiest of all endings when the resurrection of Jesus becomes the experience for all Christians. That's why we can be happy today. And we can be happy tomorrow. And we can, and we can be happy even when it seems like we're being overrun by, by things that should, should, should kill us with grief and with sadness but because the resurrection is true. It means that your ending, whatever it might be, is going to be a happy ending. You know, it seems like over the, the last couple of weeks there have been several folk that have been near and dear to, to me and, and to you and other places around, around the country that have passed away. One, one of the things that... Uh, uh, I had a, a, a friend, very dear friend of, of the family, uh, pass away a couple of weeks ago and went to see her while she was uh, still able to, to converse to, uh, to, uh, to tell her how much she meant to me and uh, how much she had meant to my family over the years. And uh, I, I kind of got choked up a little bit because this, is just, this woman is just, uh, she's just such an example of, of faith. And she's there in the bed, and the room is, uh, is dim, and I'm leaning over her bed and face this far apart. And I'm saying, I just love you so much. And everything that you represent in Christ has been a blessing to me. And I want you to know how much you mean to my family. And you know what she started doing? She started trying to encourage me. She's laying there dying. She's not going to be around more than about another 48 hours. And she's just, and you know, she's, she's saying to me, I'm ready to go home and be with my father. And I got choked up. Because here I am trying to let her know how much she means and trying to encourage her. And, and she's, just, she's just looking at me with the eyes of faith and just saying, 
it's time and it's okay and I will be happy. Happier than I've ever been. Happier than I've ever been. And we said our goodbyes and, and I, I split it in a couple of days later. She passed and at the funeral, same, same kind of spirit. You know, here, here is a woman that the resurrection made a difference in her life. She knew that God was with her, that Christ, that Christ was with her, that God's Spirit was in her, in the present, every day of her life. And that regardless of what happened to her, she was going to be able to bear it because that power, that, that presence was going to sustain her. And not only that, she, she, she grew to, to, to love the church and for all of the ways that the church taught her what it meant to be a Christian, that is, to be Christ-like. And the comfort that came to her because of people that Christ was a part of their life, on all of their life. And then at the very end, to know that He was there and that it was a happy ending. This is a woman that's living with the ramifications and the implications of the truth of the resurrection of Jesus. The question is, do you really believe it happened? And if you do believe it happened, let it hit you in the head like a two-by-four. Let it stab you in, in the heart with, with arrows of joy and peace and confidence and assurances that there's nothing, as Paul says in Romans 8, that will ever separate you from God, even in this life, if you meet a disease face to face or an enemy or a trouble or a moment of suffering eyeball to eyeball with, with torment. There's nothing because of that resurrection that separates you from God. And you go forth from this place strong in that knowledge that it's true because it was true for Him and that one day it will be true for you. If there's any way that our church can minister to you, Ben's going to come right up here. We've been singing such great songs of faith this morning. You've blessed me so greatly with your singing. You've been lifting the roof off. We're going to do that one more time. And during the singing of that praise to God for the resurrection, if our church can minister to you through teaching or counsel or prayer, our shepherds are going to be down here at the front. Come down to the front and talk to them. Let's stand and praise God together. To Canaan's land, I...